To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's episode, I have back on my friend Russ Carone. Uh, Russ is uh, uh, such a great bow hunter, such a great intelligent approach to bow hunting. And so I always just have the best conversations with Russ. And so today's no different. Uh, Russ has a an elk tag in a brand new spot. I'm hunting deer in a brand new spot this year. And so we talk a lot about trying to learn a new place. And then, you know, of course, we get into, you know, hunting these different habitats and how that improves our skill set. And also just trying to balance like such a passion for bow hunting and wild places with also our responsibilities and work and family and things. So just made for a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. We'll get right into it. Just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Matthews Bows. Uh, man, I'm loving this new phase four. I got this thing shooting so good. It's my favorite bow, uh, favorite bow I've owned. The thing is really forgiving. And so, uh, Matthews, like when you get a good tune into that bow, which I work really hard at, it keeps that tune for years. Uh, it stands up to all the abuse I throw at it with the backcountry. super forgiving, um, they just really accurate, good shooting bows, great performance with their mod system. They get good performance out of all draw lengths. Uh, and also the quietest bow I've ever shot. Animals don't even hear it go off. And there's a conversation over on Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal that I had with Dan Bacar where he just shot a couple axes, which are notorious for jumping the string. And he was able to shoot those, and the other deer had no idea that he had even shot. And I ran into that same thing in Australia, ran into that same thing where guys were 30, 40 yards behind me as I was shooting and didn't know I shot. So uh, just the, the quietest bow on planet Earth, which gives me a real advantage for the species I hunt, like mule deer, like antelope, like axis that are notorious for jumping the string. So uh, Matthews, absolute game changer, great shooting bow. Uh, just go out and shoot one, see if it fits you, see if you like it, but uh, I love it for all this western hunting. Um, so check them out, Matthews. I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Man, I'm loving these new image-stabilizing binos. These things are a game-changer. Uh, so I've got the 12 by 42s I've also got the 16 by 42s The 16 by 42s are so light, and there's word that they're going to come out with 20. So I can't wait to get my hands on those. They also have a set of 10 by 32s. I would love to try those as well uh, because the 10 buys is what I've been using the past couple years in the older models of the image stabilizing binos and they've done great for me. But um, man, they put their higher end glass in there. Uh, just great mechanical advantage. Like being able to get on a windy ridge and have a totally total stable image is like I say, it's a game changer. I think one of the biggest re revolutions in the hunting industry in the last 10 years or 20 years, these things are amazing. So if you're in the market for some new glass or some new binos, check them out. This new version is really good in low light, high-end glass, crisp image. Just so impressed by them. 
they also have standard binos, so uh, like tripoding up their 15s is amazing, really good high-end glass. Uh, also use their uh, 10x42s for quite a few years, so you can check those out as well. Best range finders in the market, uh, that um, uh, the the Hilo 6, um, is that what it's, hold on, it's... Uh, Oh, the Kilo 5K. Gosh, it's too early in the morning. Kilo 5K rangefinder is amazing, man. Powerful laser to shoot through grass. Uh, it, it shoots the same range on light and dark targets. Um, the, the thing just has accurate readings. And then it has a feature on it where you actually put in your bow speed for the cuts uphill and downhill, which is more accurate than a lot of the systems out there as we all have different speeds. So... Also check out all their products, um, rifle scopes, spotting scopes. Uh, you can check that out at sixhour.com. Just a, a great company with great products. Also check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. So we, re we released that podcast last week with uh, Cole Kramer and um, uh, Jonathan and, and uh, talked about that goat hunt. Black Rifle Coffee Company does so much for the outdoor industry and really supports all of us guys. So uh, they just have the best coffee on planet Earth. I love their instant coffee is really good for when I'm hunting. Uh, it's actual freeze-dried coffee so it doesn't hurt my stomach and then also tastes really good. And then they have a great coffee roast. So um, part of their coffee club subscription, which is awesome. Like I get coffee every single month. I get all different roasts, so I get to try a bunch of different ones, like uh, uh, like uh, just black, and they've got like the best names for them. But um, just every single one of them is great coffee. So make sure to check out those guys at Black Rifle Coffee Company. I also want to thank Black Ovis Internet Retail Shop, where you can get absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. Uh, they have carry all the top name brands as well as their own name brand. You can check them out and you can save 10% if you use the code ELEVATED10. And also check out CamoFire, uh, addictive app that uh, has 80 new hunting deals that comes up every 12 hours. But you can save a pile of money on overstock gear uh, and they carry top name brands as well. So check those guys out. Over at Eastman's, we're cruising. I, I like think that um, our new season of Beyond the Grid is going to drop here. We've got... Uh, uh, backcountry mule deer episode of mine in the high country that's going to be an awesome one i'm really excited to see the finished product of this film uh, dan picard has got some great ones as well and uh, so those will be coming up you can find it at eastman's hunting tv uh and uh on the youtube and uh look at those episodes there make sure to check out dan and i's new podcast i'm really proud of this podcast we're five episodes in we're going to drop our sixth episode tomorrow you have to search a different feed eastman's bow hunting journal podcast edition we'll bring it up and um Man, they're just all really good episodes. We're able to dive deeper down the archery rabbit hole and um, talk about a lot of stuff. So this week's a good episode. Um, man, we talk about um, bows and performance. We talk about our setups, kind of our tuning process. Uh, we dive into to arrows, arrow weights and our thoughts on it, fletchings, front-end components, uh, and then also talk about Dan's trip to Hawaii, spotting and stalking, and really building those stalking skills. Uh, talk a bit about uh, Dan's bear hunt on there, and then um, I'm going to be making a trip to Hawaii here before long. So it just made for a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Like every episode, it's a good episode. So you can check that out. Uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal Podcast Edition. Um, 
And uh, you can also check out our Tag Hub, get a free subscription to Mountain Tough Fitness, put in the promo code BRIAN. Uh, the mule deer course, absolutely everything I know about hunting mule deer, 25 years of experience hunting all different habitats, uh, $99. It's such a deal and definitely going to further your learning curve if you have a mule deer hunt coming up. You can check that out. Uh, just search uh, Eastman's Mule Deer School and um, put in the promo code BRIANMDC and that'll save you 10% on that, make it 90 bucks. such a deal. So um, check that out. And uh, with that, let's get into this podcast. It's a great one with my buddy Russ Carone. Really like this guy. Really like our conversations. And um, man, let's get into it. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. I did see one the other day, black bear hunting, though. I saw a sow and a couple cubs. Yeah, we ended up killing a black bear below her. Um, we actually watched her and her cubs feed up on this top meadow, and then um, I watched a black bear come out in that top meadow and either see them or get their wind and took off running out of there. And then I'm not sure if it's the same bear or a different bear showed up in the meadow below those grizzly bears and uh, sitting there with my buddy Dan Haverin, and it was like, man – well, we got to go. It's like a good boar and he's in a good spot. And so we sent it over there and, you know, figured the winds would be coming downhill so she wouldn't catch our wind or anything or, you know, just hoping she's not going to wander down into us. And then my buddy Dan sent a perfect arrow through that bear and died down in the creek bottom. So we were down there with our headlamps working on him, you know, oh, hope, hoping she wouldn't come down and find us down there, but she didn't. It was no big deal. We got him out of there. Cool. Yeah. I, I saw that you guys got one the other day. That's pretty awesome. Um, one of these days I'll do another spring bear hunt. It's just, I've, I got a two little kids and I got to prioritize them until they get a little bit older. I think it'd be a fun trip for us to go on down the road, but for right now I got to use the days that I have in September and November. Yep. I hear you there. Yep. Um, same you know not same with little kids but just same on time it's like i want to continue to do these adventures and these hunts but um yeah i i also have to limit myself as well so yeah trying to trying to plan out my season and um it'll be like the last year that my college daughter is probably like living with us so you know trying to prioritize that and spending quality time and get some adventures with her and then my younger daughter is in high school and just so busy just sports and friends and school and plays and gosh i mean i i hardly see her but for like an hour a day so uh, i definitely need to prioritize those girls like this summer and make sure that i'm doing a bunch of fun stuff with with them before I uh before the fall kicks off yeah that's you know it's such a fleeting time of parenthood where they're actually living in your house and I'm I'm learning that already I mean I've got a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old and it just seems like the three and a half year old is still like my little baby but he's becoming a little boy and it happens so quick yeah. So quick. Yeah. I mean, having my girls grown like that in high school and in college, man, it just happens in a blink of an eye. Yeah. You just try to soak it up and enjoy your time with them and um, shape good little humans. But it sounds like you're definitely doing that. Trying to, man. It's, it's a crazy world that we're living in. So hopefully, I mean, it kind of stresses me out to think about what the world's going to look like when they're 20. But who knows? Yeah. You can't control it. Just try to live our like 
live our little lives and be happy and um, uh, try to ri- raise them with like the right ethics and morals and try to try to raise them to be uh, tough or resilient. You know, I guess tough maybe isn't the right word, but definitely resilient. And um, yeah, they'll they'll do fine in this world. But it is a bit scary when you raise kids and love them so much, you know, to. You know, it's wild, dude. When they get a little bit older, like they'll. You don't mind if I just start recording, do you? Oh no, not yeah, at okay. all. Okay. Uh, it's wild, dude. When they get a little bit older, like in kindergarten and stuff, they're like five years old, and you've raised like these little humans, these little kids, but you've taken care of them almost for every hour of their life. You know, either you or mom. And then in kindergarten, you just gotta turn them loose and go, okay, go to your class and go figure out your lunch number and figure out the other kids. And it's so tough to like give them that independence and, and throughout the journey, whether it's kindergarten, whether it's high school, whether it's college and your daughter is moving out, it's like, you got to give them like almost a little bit more independence than you want to give them, you know, but it's like, it's part of growing up. Yeah. I used to be a K through 12 PE teacher and um, I remember the first week when kindergartners came into school, they were like babies still. And it was, it wasn't easy. I mean, I'd, I'd have like 30 kindergartners and they're all like, they didn't have a clue how to be in school and how to behave and what expectations were. So it was a, it was a rodeo. It was like herding cats for the first few weeks. And, <laughs> but by a month in, they were pretty dialed and, yeah, they're they're resilient, especially if you give them some opportunities to to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So you're not teaching anymore, Russ? No, no. I became a firefighter last year. Um, I'm an EMT firefighter and been doing that for a year now, and definitely loving it. Oh, that's right. I think I did know that. Yeah, congratulations on the on the position. Um, yeah, man, it's awesome. It's like. Um... You know, making these uh, these changes in life for like what we really want to do or what we enjoy. And, you know, life's one of those things where you can make the best laid plans, but you almost have to try things out and see how it fits or see what you like and then gravitate towards that. Yeah, my both my parents worked in schools um, when I was a kid, and that's the life that I knew. Um, I played sports throughout my youth and played college baseball and when I was done, I kind of figured that I wanted to coach baseball, but that's not really a, a great profession unless you want to put in a lot of years as a college assistant to make a living out of it. So I said, you know what, I think I'll get a master's in teaching and teach PE, do that, and coach on the side. Um, and I did it for eight years after I got my master's and really enjoyed it built some great relationships with kids and still talk to him to this day and even go fishing with some of them. So it was, it was a great time of life. And once I had kids, I kind of wanted to reassess and think about what I wanted to do long-term. And I want to pour more into my own kids than other people's kids. So I felt as though a, a career change was in order and being a firefighter, you have a lot more time off and um, I'll, I'll be able to, take vacations with my kids when I want to and not just during spring break and winter break and summer vacation. It'll be, it'll be a good, a good life for the kids and for me to be able to spend time with them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, we were talking a bit before the podcast 
um, you know, it's that um, that that college baseball player is like one of my good hunting buddies. Uh, Dylan Ness was a college ball player. And we were talking about the similarities between um, that we find through sports or through work and the correlations to hunting and to fly fishing and things. And um, I think you college baseball players like uh, you transition really well to bow hunting just because it's like you have to be so clutch in these big moments, whether it's baseball or whether it's bow hunting, to be able to make your shot or to perform to the best of your abilities with all the pressure on. Do you feel like it translates, like your college ball days translates really well to bow hunting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I was the most, if I was the most clutch player, but um, the beautiful thing about baseball is there's always the next game, there's always the next at bat, and. Uh, when I first started bow hunting, I used to get pretty frustrated in terms of like if I made a bad shot or if I missed or if I blew a stock, um, because you work so hard for each opportunity and maybe the next opportunity is 10 days down the road and another 50 miles of hiking and 20,000 feet of elevation gains just to get that opportunity. So there's, if you look at it that way, then it, it gets you down. But if you just look at it, it's like, well, that was a good experience. I learned, um, wasn't meant to be. And I've got my next opportunity. I just got to work for it and I'll, I'll get it the next time. And that's kind of how hitting is when you get up to the plate, you, you got to believe in yourself and you do your best, but it doesn't always work out. Um, so you just turn the page, you got to have a selective memory in, in baseball and you got to have a selective memory in bow hunting. Oh man, it's so true. Yeah. Um, a selective memory. Like I, I want to dive into that. I just like, uh, it, it, uh, reminds me of, um, you hunting your late season muleys. And I, I remember, you know, this is pretty far in your bow hunting journey. So probably not where you're getting super frustrated, but I remember you were chasing a good buck and you had him at like 90 yards and you passed on the shot and you, kind of second guessed her, like asked like, gosh, maybe I should have taken that shot or maybe I should have tried to make that shot or you kind of played it over in your head and you didn't end up killing that buck that year. But I remember the next year you went back to that late season spot and arrowed a great buck. Like, um, uh, you know, it's, you're right. It is, you know, you try your best to be clutch in those moments. But the truth is, is that that all of us fail, all of us make mistakes, you know, it doesn't always come together no matter no matter how good we it's like kind of the beauty of bow hunting, but you know, that you will get another opportunity and whether it's that season or whether it's the next season, but boy you sure made right on it. It's like perfect case in point of what you're talking about. Yeah, and going back even further, um I think it was two years before that two hundred incher that I was chasing I had like a 170 inch, probably eight or 10 year old troll that I was chasing for, I guess from about November 5th to December 15th, um, off and on just on the weekends, driving out there and getting after him. And I turned him up basically, I think 13 out of 15 days that I hunted him. And this was the first time that I actually hunted that area and that style with just no cover, um, not a whole lot of terrain, lots of eyeballs, lots of noses. And those does kind of act like sentries. They just kind of, they'll bed on a leeward side of a slope and they'll just face each five degrees differently so that they can cover the whole expanse and that they're fully protected. It's just, it's like mission impossible to get in on a buck. Um, 
So I, I learned so many lessons from that beer. I missed him, Brian. This is something I used to be embarrassed about, but I actually think it's kind of, kind of great now, but I missed him six times with my bow, um, over, over those 15 days and various reasons, missed ranges, uh, too much adrenaline, too fast of an opportunity, like as he's chasing a doe by me, um, maybe a couple shots that were too far. And one time even like he was in some yuccas and bedded down and an arrow deflected off the yuccas. It was just a, an epic poop show. Um, but I learned so much about the mule deer in that area, how they work it, how the, how the bucks act throughout November and throughout the rut that since that buck I've killed four um, in that area as a result of all the lessons that I was, that I was you know, taught by that buck. So I think there's a lot to be said about failure in the sense that it's an opportunity. It's just, it's a beautiful way to, to get better. Um, and in the moment it sucks, but in hindsight, looking back, that was four years ago or three years ago. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I was pretty bummed at the time, but looking back now, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that deer. Man, um, so awesome, Ross. Like we've we've all been there. It is like tough to admit. Like I, I I'm glad you can admit. It. Like I've I've been there as well. Like at 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 my at, at my very lowest. You know, I um, yeah. I think it's good. It's like the only reason I'm any good at bow hunting is because I've failed every way possible. I've missed every shot. I've messed up every stock. I've uh, gone to the wrong areas. Like I, I don't. I, it's just. It is a, a a learning curve or a learning experience, and it is those failures, like it's a prerequisite to success. I don't think anybody, no matter how much you shoot, no matter how hard you practice, I think everybody's got to go through some stage of that where you do miss and you do mess up, and it it's like easy to sit here and, and talk about it or talk about making a shot, but when you're in that moment or adrenaline-filled, like, like being able to be your best behind your bow shooting at an animal is really difficult. So we get really proficient, and we practice, and we can always put our arrow – in the spot on a target in our flip-flops at all these different distances and on angles and even 3d shoots or shooting with buddies like i could shoot really good but then when i transitioned to animals like trying to get a hold of myself and put my best arrow in an animal that's what took real work and so yeah i i i've missed critters i'd um, uh, I would mess up stocks. I would make mistakes and I'd, you know, I'd get angry at myself. It like meant, it means so much to you and you work so hard for those opportunities, like you're saying, and you train for them all year to prepare yourself for this, this one moment. And then when you mess it up, it's tough not to beat yourself up over it, you know? And, and, and even when you get proficient, like, you know, there's still things that can go wrong. There's so many variables there, but it is about like, analyzing it and learning from it but then also like forgetting about it too like moving on to the next one like not dwelling on it you know and you stated it earlier is like you have to have a selective memory and so you know i think of it like uh, uh kobe bryant making a game-winning shot well there was a lot of game-winning shots that he missed as well 
uh, but he'd, he'd move on to the next game. He worked extremely hard at, uh, you know, practice harder than anybody to prepare for those moments. But he definitely isn't 100 percent, you know, and and you have to just forget the misses or you analyze and learn from them, realize what you did wrong. And then you just start chasing the next opportunity because, you know, you can put a perfect arrow into that animal. And like redemption is a powerful tool when you miss like there's a lot of hunts that I've been on where I've had a miss or I've had something go wrong and I'm able to like get a hold of myself, pick myself up and go, you know, gosh, I'm going to arrow up, like I'm going to go find another one. I'm going to make this happen one way or another. And, and I'm able to fill out on that tag or on that hunt just due to my perseverance or due to like this, this redemption that drives me. And it, you know, it sounds like you're the same way. Yeah. And if you think about the grand scheme of why we bow hunt, I think a big piece of it is that we want to be out there. We want to be close. We want to get the full experience. And when I go rifle hunting for a cow elk, I'm not trying to brag, but just objectively over the last eight years or so, I think I've killed a cow on the first or second day on public land in, in OTC Colorado because of bow hunting. Um, it's just, it's made my skill level of, of hunting so much higher because I've had so many more days in the field than the typical rifle hunter gets. And I'm not ragging on rifle hunting at all. I think it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. I'm actually going to do it this year for an over the counter bull in Colorado, but, um, it's, it's, it's why we do it. We, we want the full experience. And if you fail, that's part of the experience. It just allows the experience to continue. Um, so, yeah, I used to get I used to get bogged down and like even on a miss a miss shot or missed opportunity, I'd kind of let it snowball into the next opportunity and then I'd screw that one up and it was this downward spiral and hence missing that buck six times in a month. Um, but when I was in high school playing baseball, I did the same thing. If I made an error in the first inning, I'd make another two or three errors because I let it snowball i let i let that negative mindset settle in and um i didn't turn the page but then by the time i got to college i started learning like dude you got to flush it move on next opportunity next at bat next ground ball whatever it is and i've i had to go through the same process in bow hunting um because it is a game of failure in, in both and um now at this point I don't really let things snowball anymore. I just kind of look at it in terms of the Jocko Willink quote, like, good. You failed, good. Move on, learn from it, fix it. Oh, I love that, man. Yeah, I love that that quote, too. It is, it is good. You know, it's like um, we enjoy these difficult endeavors because of the challenge of them. And a lot of it's just between our ears and our perspective on things. And when you can come up with a good perspective and get rid of that miss, you can go out and, um, you know, and then make that next shot and be clutch, you know, or be at your best. So it, it is, it's, it's such a, and it's tough to keep that perspective. It's tough not to get down after a missed stock or a missed shot, uh, but you're right. It's just like looking at the bigger picture, like why we're out there. And and you mentioned like the the rifle hunting, being able to get it done in a short amount of time. Like these hunts are all about building our skill sets and improving. It's not about drawing some special tag or having a a rifle that'll shoot a thousand yards or a bow that'll shoot a hundred yards. You know, it's like 
it, it's bigger than that. It it's like improving all these different skill sets that go into being a complete hunter. And I've always said like bow hunting, you know, I just got a message the other day about a guy that had shot a bear and he was totally stoked. He shot it with his rifle and shot it from 145 yards. And he talked about how bow hunting really helped him with rifle hunting. And bow hunting makes you such a good rifle hunter because bow hunting takes such a, a high skill level to be successful. Like rifle hunting has its own challenges. You have hunting pressure, uh, you get tough seasons to hunt these animals, um, you maybe don't get as many chances as you get bow season. So it's got its own set of challenges, don't get me wrong. But as far as, like, harvesting that animal, like, you have a real advantage with a rifle. But when you get good at bow hunting, it makes you such a deadly rifle hunter. You know, it just, like, all of a sudden you've, like, upped your skill set, you've upped your skill level. So now when you take on a rifle season, you're highly successful. But, yeah, I think that's, like, what the journey is and something that I truly enjoy about is that I I never stop learning or stop improving. It's like this ever-evolving learning curve for me. And so, you know, every season I'm wanting to be better and wanting to be better on my stocks, on my opportunity, wanting to be better on my shots. And I'm diligent about putting in the work in the off-season to improve these skill sets. And that's all the way... You know, like we started the the conversation before we recorded, like you have a good elk tag this year and you're studying a brand new unit. Well, that's part of our skill sets of being a complete bow hunter is to be able to figure out which units to apply for. And then when we draw those units, being able to break them down and figure out uh, a good game plan and a backup plan of where we're going to find elk or where we're going to find mule deer in that unit. And then getting in there and spending the time scouting like we also talked about. You're going to go over for some fishing trips with your buddy and then scout these places for elk like that scouting time like days in the field boots to the ground of learning the trailheads and the trails and the mountain ranges like that's all part of the skills and then you know your glassing skills your stalking skills your shooting skills like all that you know goes into making you a complete bow hunter and then also just developing like these killer instincts to make good decisions and every time you harvest an animal you know there's a hundred right decisions that have to go into it like we just uh harvested that bear i don't know if we were on recording or not but that that bear my buddy dan heaven uh, harvested which so pumped for that guy dude nobody works harder than that guy and he helped me discover this drainage 10 years ago and he's never taken a bear out of there and um he helped me two years ago kill a giant boar and he was on my hip pocket as i shot it and so like i i really owe this guy you know it's like he's my best hunting buddy he's a a great bow hunter and it's been a few years since he's harvested a good bear well this opportunity was his and i was in his hip pocket this time but the decisions that we had to make russ to make this happen we sat on the vantage point we saw another black bear we decided not to go for because he disappeared in this drainage so we sat on the vantage point and then there was a four-wheeler or a side-by-side which all these roads are closed in there. He's illegally driving on roads he's not supposed to drive on. And he drove right down in one of our parks where I've killed a couple bears. And, you know, so obviously blew up that. And then we saw the sow and two cubs grizzly. And, you know, Dan almost started to get down. He's like, oh, man, uh, side by side, grizzlies up there. Like, are we really going to see anything? And I'm like, man, we just got to stick it out. You never know what's going to show up. And sure enough, we found a bear. And then we had to send it 2,000 feet down this slope of running down there. It took us about 
about 45 minutes to get to this bear. And then we got within 500 yards and that wind was fickle. It was just blowing around everywhere. And so here we are close to this bear, closing the distance. And I'm like, man, I mean, we both said, hey, we just got to hold up here. And so we held up 15 minutes, 500 yards from this bear and waited for the shadows to come and the downhill thermals to get consistent. And so, you know, we played those winds and paused right there for 15 minutes in this crucial timeline to get this bear. The winds got right. We made our play up and through there. And then, you know, we we were looking for him, looking for him. And then, you know, I was able to spot him over this grassy park with a good wind. And then Dan put a perfect arrow. But there's there's like all these decisions that have to go into it. And I think a big part of that is like just developing our bow hunting instincts and then all of a sudden those decisions just start to come or you start to make them and you get them right and, and, uh, animals start to fall. Yeah. yeah. All those, all those opportunities and stocks and in the past have kind of created a blueprint in your brain and you don't, it's almost like flow. You don't, you don't really have to think too hard about some decisions. Whereas when I, when you first start hunting, every decision seems like this monumental decision. And once you get past that stage and you get all those reps in, it's just like, oh, I just made 100, 200 little micro decisions within the last 10 minutes to get me to this point. And I didn't really even think about it. It was just autopilot. And then those higher level decisions that you have to make, those are the big ones. But there's less of them that you have to make the further the further into the journey you are, I think. Oh, man, you're spot on, Russ. Yeah, you're spot on. You uh, like the the way you described in flow or making these decisions you're right you don't you don't overanalyze them you just make a decision and go with it and at first it's like such gray areas like there isn't a black and white of what the right decision and wrong decision is there's just your gut feeling of what you think you know and in kind of your theories on things and and yeah you 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 make mistakes i think it's good to like take in as much information as you can, right? So learning from podcasts or articles or other successful hunters where you can implement some of their game plan or thought process into your own game plan. But then it really is like experience is the best teacher. And the more you're out there, the more you're, you bow hunt, the more you pay attention, the more you learn and the better you get. And, you know, we talked about failures is the reason I'm the bow hunter I am. It's also like experience, just so much time in the field. And I imagine it's the same for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm throughout my life, I've never been, I would say talented. I've just been someone that through hard work and be successful and, and, and bow hunting is a beautiful, perfect place to do that. Yeah, that's it. The, the, and I also think it's like the more diverse experience we can get, the, the better we are like the, the, you know, you've hunted Hawaii for axis deer. I have too. like, um, you know, hunting these different habitats, hunting different species and, and even hunting elk in different habitats or mule deer all the way from, you know, the, the foothills or badlands or breaks to the high country, like all these different, um, habitats and these different species, I think it sharpens your skills in different ways and then makes you a better overall bow hunter, which gives you a better chance at success whichever tag you have or whatever hunt you're embarking on yeah and as we were talking about earlier um i have this tag in a different state that i've never stepped foot in um for elk this year and at first when i drew the tag i was a little bit 
anxious. I, to be honest with you, I was like, oh, geez, I've never even stepped foot there. I don't know anything about that area. It's such a vast area that I can hunt. So where do I even start looking? But then once you start doing a little bit of work on the computer and spending a few hours, then all of a sudden things start coming together. You start pulling your experiences from other places, the kind, the type of hunter and the type of style that you hunt can kind of dictate what areas suit you well and what you're looking for. And then, you know, a few hours in, you, you have a lot more confidence and, um, then when you get get your feet on the ground, then it's a whole different story because things always look a lot different on Google Earth. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it's all about time in the field and putting in the work to build that confidence. And if you don't do it, then you can't really expect it. You yeah. just get lucky. So right. That's it. That boots to ground is so important to these places. And there's some places that are too far away that you can't scout that, you know, then I'll I'll just know that, you know, I'm going to have to spend that time early in the hunt trying to figure it out. But it's always different when you get there. Like, I think, you know, e-scouting is so important. Getting a feel for the mountain ranges, a feel for the trailheads, a feel for where you want to go and what looks good it is so crucial and so important to these hunts and to the planning phase. But also just as important is the scouting, like just even getting there and driving the roads and figuring out which roads are closed and which roads are open and which places you have access to and uh, where the trails are that that boots to ground. Even if it's just like a bonsai weekend, just a couple days of bombing into country in this place you're going to hunt puts you so far ahead of the curve once hunting season gets there that you don't have to then spend those two, three days during hunting season trying to figure out where you're going to even park or where you're going to get to. And you're right, the, the mountain ranges always seem small on the computer of where you're <laughs> going to go. And and then you get there and they're just these giant mountains that you have to climb and it's so far in between these spots you want to check out. But I do think that's such like a crucial crucial phase or crucial part of a hunt is like just that boots to ground and just getting a feel for the country. Uh, it just helps so much like uh, trying to be successful on one of these hunts. Yeah, um, in terms of the magnitude of how steep something is on Google Earth versus reality, something that I've been doing for the last couple of years is I'll look at Google Earth, I'll look at Topo Maps, and um, then I'll look at places that I know well and have hiked, and I have these kind of like bars that have been set, like that is a very difficult climb, or like that that slope is super steep, and um, I'll compare the two maps and then it'll give me a pretty good idea of what I'm actually in for. Um, how, like, let's say it's 3.2 miles and, um, 2,700 feet of vert and an area that I've hunted or hiked in the past, I can compare that to, well, then, then it gives me pretty good perspective. Hmm. That's a great but, tip. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get some boots on the ground out there. It's it's going to be a pretty pretty fun summer into the into the fall, and it just extends the season. You know, all, all that scouting that we do just it makes September quite a bit longer um, if if you go and and do the work beforehand. It's a good point. Yeah, and I I use a lot of that scouting too. It seems to help with my confidence. It's um. You know, backcountry hunting, you know, I've, I've been doing it long enough for this backpack style hunting. I've been doing it long enough to where I feel comfortable in the mountains wherever I'm at. But 
in that same breath, it just seems like if you can get some of those summer scouting trips in, uh, covering a bunch of miles, camping outside, like uh, just being out in 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 the woods or in the mountains, it just seems like it gets me more comfortable and ready for season and camping out. And you're right, it is a way to extend our season. And, and really, those early season scouting trips, man, staying there as fun or just as exciting as bow hunting, just with the possibilities of knowing you're hunting that place, the possibilities of the animals you're seeing, and really... You get almost the entire experience that you get of bow hunting. You just don't get the stock and the shot. But everything else as far as the glassing and covering miles and camping, um, you, you know, it, it seems to really add to my confidence going into season. Not just the not just the country that I learned or the, uh, the trails that I learned or what I learned about the unit – uh, or the animals that I saw, but it it also helps my personal confidence, like just making me comfortable in the mountains and getting ready for like a big fall. Yep. Dialing in your equipment, um, knowing your equipment, knowing your limitations, getting your lungs in shape. I mean, there's just so many benefits to it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, there is so many benefits to, to boots to ground, and it's such a crucial part to, like, finding success. And it is tough, these units we haven't been in. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm planning to draw a unit this year. I haven't seen the Utah results come out yet, but I'm trying out a different general season unit. It's been quite a few years since I've been to, to Utah hunting, and so... Yeah, same thing. I'll be in that same boat as you, you know, and I've already been e-scouting quite a bit because I kind of plan on getting the tag, even though you shouldn't count on them until you see that successful app. But uh, I've been scouting it quite a bit, but it's far enough away where it's going to be tough for me to make a summer trip over there. And so um definitely going to have to plan a couple extra days in the front end of this hunt to be able to make sure that I get a good feel for country. Um you know, and there's there's times and places where it's just too far away to scout. Or if it's a place that I've hunted before, it seems like I've got good experience in that unit. Uh, I've scouted it before. I've hunted it before. There's like that that hunting that hunting a unit during the season that you're going to hunt. Like that is such key information. So you know, going to a place that I've hunted you know, a time or two times or three times, you know, that may give me 20 days of experience in that country. Then I can e-scout pretty effectively because I know where I found bucks in there and I can kind of transpose that information. But even if I draw a unit that I've hunted before, even if I've had great success, I'm always trying to expand my knowledge of a unit. And so, uh, even if I've had success, I'm going to look at that unit with a different lens now because I've got more days in it and I'm going to hunt it again. So I look to the spots that have been good to me, and then I look at how I can explore further or other places that look like that place that I can go check out. It seems like um, when you're a bow hunter, you have to constantly be a student of the game and constantly learning, you know, and so uh, that's what I try to do when I when I draw those units. Definitely. And the West is so vast that like even the units that are around where I live, um, I've lived here for nine years now and, um, I've put on tons of miles, um, countless days in all different areas. And there's still plenty of places that I haven't looked into yet. And who knows? knows what may exist there who knows what animals may live there what kind of terrain 
that maybe you can't quite see on Google Maps or Google Earth um, or on a topo map may, may exist. Um, so it's just it's pretty exciting to know that you haven't even scratched the surface of where you live, let alone some other state. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty cool to think about how much knowledge we'll have in 20 years from now, Brian. Man, that's it. Um, yeah, same, same here, Russ. Like, um, here I've lived in this valley for 25 years, and I've explored all these different places in this valley, hunting elk and deer and bear and, and now moose, you know, last season. And, and um, yeah, I killed a bull in a brand-new range where I'd never taken out a bull last year, and I learned a ton, like having that moose tag and being able to look at different places in the range at different seasons, like – I compiled a lot of information that's going to help me in future elk seasons. And, and like you say, I've been here 25 years and explored like every place I can go scout. I can go hunt, you know, I've gone, but there's still like more to learn. And I've got bigger plans for this year. I've got a, a big through hunt where I'm going to hunt downhill for like, well, it's got to be three or 4,000 vertical feet and going to take me a couple days to make my way through this range and going to park my dirt bike at the bottom and my truck at the top and going to hunt all the way down through it. Like, you know, I've just got some big plans and, you know, where I killed this bull last year, it's like, oh, okay, now I look at this and, oh, man, there's this place where I can get on this ridge line and I can go down this ridge and cover more of this terrain and, and cover some of this country that nobody's getting to where now I think these elk have been pressured. Like, using the knowledge that I've gained from last season and the last 20 years, I am still learning. Like, I don't think I'll ever have it figured out, even in my home valley, you know, which is wild. Yeah. No, it's 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 awesome and it's exciting. I, I think shed hunting helps me quite a bit too in terms of learning new areas um and i'll i'll look up at the highest reaches of where i think bulls and bucks will be shedding just because it's closer to where i'll be finding them in september um and it'll it'll allow me to learn a new area um we don't have spring bear hunting here which i wish we did and if we did that would be pretty great too for learning new areas but since we don't shed hunting is what i do in the spring to pick apart some new areas and over the years um especially in pj country there's there's a lot of bulls that live there year-round um so i've i've over the years kind of learned some areas in pj country that never would have found if it wasn't for shed hunting what's pj country oh pinion juniper oh gotcha okay yeah yeah um, yeah, man, that's so true. Uh, I learned so much from hunting horns too. Like back in my early days, like 20 years ago, I think I was more hooked on hunting horns than I was actual bow hunting. And I started picking up these good sheds and then I started, you know, I was like, man, I really want to kill one like this with my bow. And I made this realization that, you know, well, you got to spend more time bow hunting. And, you know, so I had to prioritize a little bit. But to your point, Russ, is that I learned so much about, um, you know, not like elk behavior, you know, and um, uh, where they show up, where they winter at, where they bed, where they feed. You know, I just learned so much. And, you know, we were talking about becoming the best bow hunter we can is – 
like uh, uh, experience and experience in the field. Well, that doesn't just mean bow hunting experience in the field. It's like all this time of field is going to improve our skill set. So like the bow hunting I'm doing now, you know, is going to help me for elk season next year. And, and the shed hunting that we do, it's spending time in the woods. It's trying to figure out elk or mule deer and their habits and where they feed and where they bed and uh, where they hang out and where they winter. Like this is all like, going to help us with our experience so it's not just getting time in september with your bow out there it's like this year-round endeavor where whenever you can find time you can be out scouting and the scouting you know just like we were talking about it's everything you do hunting except for the stock and the shot well that's going to improve your skills and so you know just taking it as as like you know, trying to get as much experience in the outdoors, whether it's scouting or shed hunting or bear hunting or elk hunting or deer hunting or whatever it is, this is all going to go into making you a better bow hunter. And then it's going to give you a better chance at success, you know, when you do draw a tag or when you have a hunt coming up. For sure. And a hot tip for your younger listeners too. I definitely recommend putting in the miles before you have kids, because once you have kids, you have a lot less time. Um, but fortunately I did put in those miles when I was a young guy, so I don't need to look at, I mean, I've got 20 elk spots in my back pocket that I know there'll be elk in and I don't have to scout. I just know that in September they're going to be in those areas. And if they're not, I look in the next year and I've got 19 more. Um, so I think, I think a big piece of the puzzle too, is when you don't have as many responsibilities, to get out and just explore as much country as you can learn as much country as you can. And then, um, down the road, it'll just, it'll, it'll be like a piggy bank of information that you can draw upon when you don't have all that time. I definitely draw upon the piggy bank like you're talking about as well and use a lot of past knowledge. But, you know, it's also like being creative with your time. Like I know, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time bow hunting this year. You're going to spend time scouting, you know, and sometimes it's just being creative. It's like I can take my family for a camping trip where I have a tag and I can wake up at four in the morning and go do a hike in the morning and scout. And I'm back by nine or 10 o'clock to have breakfast and hang out with the family during the day or whatever the case is. But, you know, just be creative too. involve your family and, um, uh, uh, you know, you, you do have to be more well-rounded when you have a family and make sure that you're spending that quality time with the kids and with the wife. And um, so I think that is a great tip. But, you know, as we get older, too, it's just being creative and finding the time to get out in the woods. I'm excited for that stage. My kids are still a little bit too tiny to take camping they're kind of this summer we'll do a little bit just to get their feet wet but um they're three and one so i'm sure some people are like well i take my one-year-old camping but (laughs) we've got two pretty difficult children and uh they're great kids but they're they're a handful so um i think this summer we'll get them get them started camping and next summer will be the first summer we, we really can start doing that a bit more i'm excited for it can't wait to look for bucks with my with my son especially yeah i hear you you do have to cater your trips and experiences to the age and the uh of your kids and you also um you know you 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 can't put it all on your wife to take care of those kids while you're out scouting the whole time as a driver insane and then um you know she didn't have fun on the camping trip so you definitely have to cater your trips to them but yeah as they as they get older you're definitely going to get time in the field with them and um 
and uh, get them out to those places. But yeah, it uh, it really is like gaining that experience in whatever you can do. And then also just being a student of the game. And, you know, not every trip, not every hunt works out either. It's like part of being, you know, a, a public land hunter is we have to take chances on these units and on these hunts. And, you know, I don't run 100% success uh, and, and you have to take chances and put yourself out there. So it's applying for these tags or applying for these hunts in these places you don't know. And it's scary when you're going to a place that you've never been or a place you don't know, you're starting from scratch. It can be a bit overwhelming and, and me and you, you know, like, I mean, it's definitely present in mind with me drawing this new unit in Utah, you drawing that elk tag places that we've never been that we have to figure out, but we've done it before. You imagine like or if you can think back to the first new place that you went, man, you're just like in over your head almost. But it's those experiences that really help you learn how to figure out a new place in a new area. And that we were talking about bow hunting skill sets. It's like you don't want to get stuck in a rut. Like you were talking, you have 20 different elk spots that you hunt. Well, you're pretty safe with 20 different spots. You're going to find one of those that produces. But a lot of times we get cut, caught in a rut where we find a good drainage or we find a good elk spot or mule deer spot. And we go in there and we harvest a buck. And maybe we harvest another buck the next year. Or, you know, it's like good success and it's like the best elk hunting we've ever seen in there. But things change. Hunting pressure changes things. People find out about it. Uh, maybe the, the conditions were different that summer, and so things change. And then you go into this spot that's been so money to you the 15th of September, and there's no elk in there. And yep. you almost feel lost. And so you got to be careful not to get caught in a rut of hunting one good spot. And you have to build your skill set at like being able to find new units and new spots. I think it's like one of the best skill sets you could have is like – being able to go to a new place and dial it in and figure it out and find critters like that is a um, a, a really like like underappreciated skill that you have to master to be able to hunt the West. Yeah, knowing when to turn the page is huge. I think like it, it totally varies on terrain and and habitat for me. Like where I hunt bucks, there's quite a bit of timber, and if I'm not seeing them, it doesn't mean they're not there. But elk, on the other hand, if you're not seeing steaming hot scat and tracks and fresh sign, you're not in the right spot. So you got to keep moving. And, and that's that's something that I I used to do is like hunt ghosts. Like, yeah, I killed a bull here in the past and there was great rutting action on these dates. And then maybe two years in a row, you, you have those same experiences. And then all of a sudden it just gets cold or maybe the dates kind of change a little bit and you're just not you're not in the zone and then you're hunting ghosts um but but turning the page and just you know being confident enough to, in in your next spot to be like you know i i think that's worth worth looking into compared to where i'm at right now definitely comes into handy with elk and and in deer too when it's open country uh, that late season mule deer hunt that i do it's vast and it's open and I just keep covering country until I find them. I don't, I don't hang on to past haunts there where there may be a buck that shows up. Yeah, they move a lot of country every day, but you got to move too. You can't just stay in one spot and expect them to funnel through it. So true. I don't, I don't do good when I'm 
waiting for animals to show up. I got to go find them. You know, it's just like my my method of of operation. Um, you make a good point too about not hunting ghosts. You know, it's like, you know, if if they're not there, you know, you you definitely can't hunt them. And like you say, like your timbered country that you hunt mule deer is a bit different, where you know those mule deer are in there. But there's a lot of country that doesn't hold game. They're like in pockets of country. And and two, it's like. You know, you were talking about fresh uh, set uh, 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 tracks and sign of elk, you know, and how that really dictates. It was like you just got back from this Australia hunt and hunting these sandbar and thick terrain and thick country. You have to still hunt through for hours in this country. And the moment you lose focus, you spook one of those uh, things up, one of those sandbar up. But one of the things I really took away from there, well, there's a couple things, but uh, one of the things that I really took away from there is my buddy Josh is so good at tracking and sign and being able to put a time stamp on how long that sign was. And how he taught me to hunt these sandbar is to hunt through and you kind of still hunt looking for them, but you're really looking for the sign. And once you start to cut those fresh tracks and that fresh sign, you slow down and then you hunt into a sandbar stag or a uh, doze or hinds or, you know, it's like you um, really hunting the sign. And it just made me a, like hyper aware. It made me better at reading sign and the timestamp of that sign. And I think it's the, the same thing as hunting elk and mule deer. Like if they're in there, you're going to see the sign or see them. And um, really dialing that in, you know, and also I use it in my scouting for elk looking for scrapes or rubs or wallows like I know they'll be rutting in that area. And, um, you know, for deer looking for big tracks and knowing that that's a buck track in the area and um, especially those fresh snows and being able to glass tracks and just trying to dial it in because the animals aren't spread out throughout the, the landscape. They're in pockets of country. And so you have to figure out where those pockets are. And sure, the the best way to figure out what those pockets are to glass it and to see a muley buck there. But there's also other signs that are there like the track or uh, like the scrapes or the rubs or the trails. And I, I think it's like taking in that information and processing it and trying to figure out where those animals are and where those pockets are. For sure. Um, that sounds like a heck of an adventure, Brian. Um, would you say that that was the most difficult animal that you've ever bow hunted? Yeah, it's... Um... It's definitely up there. Yeah. Like they were uh, really challenging and tough. I mean, the the only thing I had is like I'm hunting with one of the best sandbar hunters around. And so like being able to learn from them mm-hmm. and like, um, you know, to go on a hunt, you know, I'd go solo, we'd split off, but we'd also hunt together and just being able to uh, uh, dial into his pace the the places that he was hunting, I was able to 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 learn an immense amount of information about the species, which helped me be successful. Cool, yeah. Um, I heard you talking with Dan on your other podcast about that, and it's definitely something that's on my bucket list. Probably New Zealand first, but I'd I'd like to hunt Australia at some point down the road. That'd be awesome. New Zealand is so fun. There's a lot of opportunity, man, and a lot of opportunity for like this hunting that we do in the states, like um, you know, the the do it yourself, the public ground, like 
man, hunting tar in New Zealand is amazing. Like, we don't get to hunt sheep and goat species too often. The tags are just so tough to draw. But to be able to go there and to hunt Himalayan tar in the southern Alps of New Zealand in this extreme remote terrain was amazing, man. Being able to dial that in and test my skills out there. And then also... You know, there's some great free-range red deer. That was like the first red deer stag that I saw that was a a, a free-range one. Um, was a great stag. It looked like about a five-point bull or something. But um, to be able to chase him roaring was really cool. And then I, I got the chance to um, go hunt fallow deer there. And um, thanks to, to Remy, he had like a really good spot that – he set me up like we paid like a like a trespass fee and it was like 300,000 acres of um uh uh you know lo- low fence or no fence you know like free range uh fallow deer and that was just absolutely amazing we hit the croak or their rut just perfect but wow. yeah it's a it's a pretty cool experience being able to travel international and take that on and really you know it 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 definitely had to save some money and budget for it but it just wasn't that bad compared to to other hunts especially when you like go and figure it out you know so yeah man it's amazing you'd love new zealand yeah it's definitely an adventure especially with fly fishing too there i mean it's like <laughs> everything that both of us love in oh, one place. it is man i'm so torn like they have the biggest browns the biggest fish in the world it, it was just tough. I went out there that that my first trip out there was like two weeks and I had I went back and forth to load up my rods or not load up my rods and I I I ended up focusing on um hunting out there, but I did walk like this this one river system that's world famous for trout and just this teal blue glacial fed river and I got to walk up it and just like peer in these holes, you know, and uh I didn't get to do any fishing there, but the next time I go back, yeah, I want to plan a long enough trip where I can take a couple weeks and focus on. I really want to do a New Zealand fishing trip, man. They're just the uh, so big there and then so many beautiful streams to fish. Yeah, I, I in my profession, um, I see a lot of dead people being an EMT, and some of them are young, some of them are old, and every time I go on a call where someone's you know moved on into the next life, if there is one, um, it makes you think about how short this one is, and you just need to take advantage of it. It's it could be gone in a flash. Last year, I broke my ankle. I was able to dunk one minute in a basketball game, and then the next minute, I couldn't walk for two months. I was in a, I was in a bed. So, I mean, life can change in a blink. Um, I'm not saying that breaking an ankle is like dying, but it's just crazy how bad things can get in a very short period of time. Um, and then you'll never get to do what you want to do if you don't take advantage of those moments that you do have the opportunities. So yeah, I I'm wanting to, um, get out and explore and, and get as many of these experiences like as I can and all these memories built. So true, man. It's, it can change in an instant and you have to think about it that way and try to make the most out of this life and make the most out of every day, really, you know, and, and yeah, take the plunge on some of these trips and, you know, it's, you know, not only can your life change, but life passes by pretty quick. It's like, you know, a year goes by pretty quick. Five years goes by. Ten years goes by. Like, um, man, none of us are getting any younger. And, um, you know, we just have to work hard to enjoy this life and get the most out of it. And it's, 
you know, we do have to be responsible and we have to be providers for our family. And there's like responsibility that goes along with life. But we also have to look out for, you know, our 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 mental like our happiness in life and making sure that we are doing the things that we have passion for and the things that we love. And and it, it does like you can always say, oh, next year I'm going to do this or next year I'm going to do it. And then next year comes and it's, oh, I, I don't have time this year. Like we're we are all so busy with life, but we're so much better off when we just take the plunge and go for it. Like your elk hunt you're doing this year and like your season and and two. There's like I love being able to travel internationally or to these wild places, but there's so much opportunity right here in the States where we have our vehicles and we have all the gear we need. And, you know, really, it's a three hundred dollar deer tag or four hundred dollar deer tag or, you know, thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But when you're just putting gas in your rig and buying a little bit of food, you can do these wild, amazing adventures for a thousand dollars or for fifteen hundred dollars or whatever whatever the cost is and um yeah you it almost changes you as a person and it like resets like i'm sure you get some of the same benefits you know mentally out of like like bow hunting and going on these adventures you almost feel like a different person when you get back and you feel recharged to go to work and be at your best or to be at your best with your family like um man it's um it, it's what we truly love to do, and we just have to find the time or commit to doing some of these adventures, whatever we can afford. And like, you know, I've, I've come to the realization I'm probably not going to go all over the world sheep hunting, you know, for dolls and stone sheep and desert sheep. Maybe I'll get lucky and draw a tag someday. But I've also realized that there are these amazing adventures that are available for all of us, for elk and mule deer and antelope and bears and uh, really, it's just about making the commitment and making it a priority and then going on it. Totally. I When I went to Hawaii and um, hunted Axis, when I got back, I told my wife, I want to do that every year. Well, it's been, I think, three years now and I haven't gone back. So priorities have trumped that trip and having little kids and um being a dad and, and a husband and having having to provide has trumped that. But in the near future, I definitely want to get back. And it's those are the experiences that I think when you die, you look back on. You're like, wow, I did that. That was that was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it is those experiences. And we do, you know, we can't we can, we can't throw. Uh, you know, we do have responsibilities as as uh, uh, fathers and as husbands, and um, you know, we have to make that a priority in our life as well. And there are things that are crossed off the list. Like, sure, I'd like to write a a big check for some of these hunts and go on these things, but it's it's just not feasible or responsible for me to do so. You know, with my family and. Um, so, you know, we have to pick and choose and, you know, I get to hunt a ton. I, I'm, I'm like the last person that should be complaining about anything and I'm not, but I just, um, uh, you know, I just realized that, you know, there, there are cuts and there are sacrifices that I have to make to make sure that I'm, uh, doing the right thing for my family. And then, you know, and then they support me in my passions and in the trips I want to go on that I make a priority and, you know, I have discussions with my wife about them and with my kids and, you know, they're able to handle things while I'm gone and take care of things. But it definitely is a balance of, uh, uh, these bow hunting adventures and then our responsibilities with work and family. Yep. 
and you're doing a great job of it and setting a good blueprint for me to follow. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, likewise, man. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're hunting a bunch of cool places and, um, you gosh, you're really getting to be a great bow hunter clutching those moments. I just, I, I always enjoy having you on the, on the podcast. Like these conversations are so in depth and you're so tuned in to the bow hunting world, man. It's just really fun for me. Well, likewise, man, I, um, I credit a lot of my, I guess, beginner success in Western bow hunting to you from listening to Eastman's Elevated, especially like when it first came out, I was, I listened to every single episode. Um, and I still listen quite a bit, but I was like just hungry to learn as much as I could from you. And not that I've stopped learning from you, but I've, I've, <laughs> from the experiences and from listening to podcasts and everything over the years that I've done, um, to learn and get better. You've been a big piece of that puzzle. And, um, I appreciate you, man. Oh, likewise, man. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I wasn't getting choked up by what you said, but <laughs> it was, uh, uh, no, it's, um, it's amazing, Russ. Well, you know, it's all just due to, uh, your love for it and, um, uh, your passion for it. And when you love something like that, you do, you put so much effort in, you're so hungry to learn that you take that information in, but you know, it, it, it's really like the information is out there. It was you that decided that you wanted to improve and get better. It was you that decided like your, your love for it and to work at it, take in this information and apply it to your own hunting. Like the information is out there, but you have to be hungry and have to want it, put in the effort, put in the time, sacrifice, uh, to be able to learn to get proficient at it, and you've definitely done that. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, well, right on, man. Yeah, that's a podcast. Thanks again for um, uh, joining me today, and then, um, yeah, we'll get this out in a couple weeks or so. But, yeah, I just I really enjoy these conversations and uh, wish, wish you nothing but good hunting this year on that elk tag and on your home range deer tag, and I'll definitely be following along to see how you do. Thanks, Brian. And do you have any um, late-season mule deer? plan too yes i do yeah i've got some late season mule deer plans i've got a couple tags in my pocket so it should be really fun and really good they're tough to kill during the rut aren't they man (laughs) so last year i um i killed two bucks in late season in like four days of hunting on two different trips and i i planned like nine days on the first trip i was only there for two um and you plan nine because you can go 15 and not, and not kill one. And last year, just kind of the stars aligned and maybe I'm getting better at the whole thing, but, um, it's not easy. And that's why I love it so much. It's, it's probably my favorite thing to do at this point. Yeah. It's definitely one of my favorites as well. If not the favorite Yeah, it's, um, good on you. You're definitely getting better and improving your skill set, which, which gives you a better chance at success when you get those opportunities or create those opportunities. So there's no doubt about that, but you are right as well as it can take nine days or 15 days. And sometimes during that rut, like you see box and you get opportunities, but they're constantly moving and you've got the does to worry about. And, um, uh, you've also got like the tough weather. If it snows a bunch and gets crunchy or the snow can make it tough to move around or there's like, there's all these different variables that go into it. And the later in November you get, the better the rut is, but also the tougher the weather can get. And so there's just all these variables into it. And so sometimes, 
hunting late season mule deer can be the toughest challenge. And I think, I think last year, yeah, I mean, I had a couple states. I was trying to finish my house in November, so a lot of my late season hunting happened late October, early November, and then I did get another quick trip in December, but I had quite a few days into late season muleys last year, and I did not fill my tag. I was I was able to kill an early season muley, but didn't get a late season one, so it, it's always... It's always an extreme challenge for me. You're so tough to get it done uh, and and can be such a humbling experience, you know, but that's what keeps me coming back. And I love the action. I love chasing those those hard horn bucks. And during the rut, they, there just isn't much more thrilling hunting out there to do than than hunting a, a late rut hunt with our bows. Yeah. I And in terms of dates, I wanted to get your opinion on this. I kind of plan two hunts out there every year um like an earlier november and a later november um and i found that like in that fifth to tenth of november you you'll find those bucks kind of cruising looking for does especially that four or five year old range um whereas in october you don't see them at all and then like around the fifth the tenth they start cruising, you can find them, but they're not in big groups and they don't have a harem of does where they've got like 15, 20, 40 does I've seen with one buck in the past. Um, so I, I almost think that that's the best time. If you can, if you can time it right. And it obviously varies on the area that you're in, but where I've been hunting about the fifth, 10th range, um, like that, I killed a 30 incher this year. That was kind of dogging some does, but bouncing around from group to group didn't really, they weren't really ready for him. So, um, he was bedding up in the hills by himself. And that's the only reason I was able to kill him because I think if he had 30 does, I, I don't think I stood a chance to get in on him. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Russ. I, you know, I think it can definitely differ from place to place, but that it, those are my money dates. Like, um, as they're like that, that pre rut or right when they're first getting into rut and not every group of does has a buck with them. And the bucks, like you were talking about, start traveling country by themselves. And so a lot of times you can catch a buck by himself or bedding by himself. And so I love those dates you're talking about the fifth to the 10th. And I've actually, you know, probably killed the majority of my late season bucks in those dates or at least around those dates. I also will find good success around the first to the fifth. And then I do have some spots late October that are good as these bucks start to get to their rut zones or they're starting to prep for the rut, but they're not with the does yet. And I actually have like, you know, in a couple different locations, you know, close to where you hunt and then other places I have where I do good when they're staging for the rut because the bucks are really focused on feeding and, and like hanging with another buck or hanging by themselves and where I see them come out, they're kind of hanging out right in that area. And so if I can figure out where the bucks are that time of year, I've actually got like almost a better chance at killing them before they're even starting rutting in that like pre-rut. And then definitely that pre-rut, once that action starts and those bucks start to move around fifth to 10th, I always do good. Now in the country that I hunt, 
I don't see the bigger groups or see those bucks get locked down like you're talking about. Like, um, uh, I mean, I guess I have seen them in bigger groups or a buck that's tending to a bunch of does that's tough to kill. But I do really good from the 10th to the 20th prime rut dates as well. It seems like the, the bucks are more on the move. It seems like... Uh, uh, like they're on their feet all day, and so you can't really bet them and get a play. It seems like they're really tough to get a read on. Like it's almost like you see a buck and then almost hunt them like elk where you get over there and then adapt to where they're at and just have to hunt them almost in real time where it's not this calculated, methodical, planned-out play on them. Mm -hmm. So I end up doing a lot of that. Uh, but I, I find some good hunting the 10th to the 20th, but – you know, it's it's like all these species have similar tendencies and, and habits and behaviors, but it can be different from area to area. So you've definitely dialed in your area where you know where your good dates are, that you don't find them in October staging for the rut, so that's not a play for you. You find them in that early November when they're first starting to rut, first starting to look for their does, and then they get held up with those bigger groups later in the rut and get way tougher to kill. And, and now that I'm, like, talking my way through this, I have found spots in, like, December where they're still rutting, but they are those big groups of does where they're really tough to get in on, and that buck's, like, kind of watching those does. So, I mean, I guess I have seen that at times in different areas, but, yeah, that's kind of my experience with them. Hmm. Cool, yeah. Definitely very similar, but you're a little more north, so who knows? Things could be a little bit different there, but... Yeah, it's 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 just the month that I wish I could be out there all month. But like we said, responsibilities and and being a, a good dad is important. Yep, balance, man. That's it. So um, yeah, well, right on, man. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, thanks so much for your friendship. Make sure to keep in touch this season, and then um, yeah, wish you nothing but good hunting. Likewise, Brian. Thanks a lot, man. And thanks for uh, those tidbits earlier on before we started. Yep. No worries. My pleasure. Uh, make sure to pass on your number, too. I thought I had your number saved in my phone. For some reason, I don't. I know we've I thought we had texted back and forth, but make sure to pass that on to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. OK, Brian. Thanks, man. Have a good day. You too. OK, bye. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Fun conversation with Ross. It's um, learning these new units, learning these new places, like being able to explore uh, is, is like I get so much enjoyment out of it. And um, it really pulls at me each and every year. So I love hunting these new places, hiking new places, hunting new places, trying to dial them in and figure them out. So it just made for a great conversation. Thanks again to Russ for coming on the podcast and sharing all, uh, so much great information. And uh, thanks to our sponsors. So uh, Matthews at New Phase 4 is so quiet, shooting so good for me. Uh, I know you guys would like it. Just go out if you're looking for a new bow and just shoot all the new bows just to get a feel for them, you know. Uh, and I guarantee that, like this Matthews, uh, it, it just shoots so smooth, so accurate, so forgiving. So uh, go check those things out. Go check out Sig Sauer Optics. They've got those new image stabilizing binos that are just amazing with their high-end glass. These things are going to be a game changer for me this year. So check those out. Uh, check out uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company, their coffee subscriptions. Check out Black Ovis Internet Retail Shop, Elevated Tens, your code there to save 10%. And uh, also Camo Fire, a bunch of new... Uh, 
hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. And um, yeah, make sure to check out that new podcast, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal Podcast Edition. I'm doing it with Dan Bacar. Uh, they're all really good episodes. I'm releasing episode six tomorrow, uh, so you got to search its own feed uh, and find it in a new feed. And um, yeah, hoping we can make a go at this thing. Um, they're just such great in-depth conversations, uh, really centered around archery, and we can dive deeper down the rabbit hole and get into some of the nuances of it. And um, also just a great chemistry between Dan and I. So really enjoying putting those together, and a new episode drops tomorrow. And with that, man, oh man, um, just been working, just crazy busy here, trying to get this podcast out to you guys. Man, construction hasn't really slowed down. I know I talked about going full-time in the hunting industry, and that still is my plan. It's just um, I've got so many families and uh, my partner in the business that have counted on me for so many years. Uh, so I really got to finish up these jobs that I'm working on, these clients that I'm working for, and then just set up the business for success. And so... You know, I'm trying to take more responsibility off my plate, but we're so short-handed with employees right now. We just lost some really good carpenters, and we've got a we've got a new kid and a guy that's been with us forever. But really, it's coming down to uh, my partner and I getting a lot of the work done. So having to be on site, wake up super early in the morning, get my podcast stuff done, and then um, staying up late in the evening trying to get book work and paperwork done. So I'm burning the candle at both ends, but I do have a hunting trip coming up to Hawaii, which is going to be amazing with really good friends. I bought my tickets the other day, and then I've got a really full season. Um, pulled some lucky draws this year, and uh, ended up with some really good tags, so I'll be hunting uh, mule deer and uh, elk and uh, antelope and um, really got a full season. So just trying to set myself up right, get done with my responsibility, and um, things are good. Like uh, mentally, I'm in a pretty good place. Like, gosh, I think after doing my house and all those projects and stress load, I about broke my brain again, you know. But um, I'm recovered now and feeling good. Getting in um, runs and training, I'm fitting that in in between my busy schedule, like Probably should have got more work done last night, but, you know, it's just like got to get in a run, too. Uh, Bo's been shooting really good. Uh, haven't been able to bear hunt quite as much as I'd like to. I was going pretty hard there in the midseason when it turned on. We got Dan, that bear, and then I've hunted a few days after that, but um, just trying to wrap up a house. And um, so it's been all hands on deck on that thing. And then um, the afternoon evenings have been uh, pretty rain uh, like like rainy and clouded in which doesn't lend itself to good hunting for me and I've you know I've gone out and still hunted in the rain a bit uh, but um, yeah it's uh, it's it's been a bit slow it's still really good hunting right now I just need to get out and I've got a few days planned here for the end of the season so we'll go out and it's got to be a pretty good bear to get me excited but um, I am looking forward to just walking around the woods with my bow a little bit more so um, keep chasing those bears and, and, uh, who knows what'll happen. Maybe I'll catch a giant out there. So, um, yeah, it's just, um, time is time, like, uh, none of us have a, enough of it. It seems like a uh, time is the precious commodity, you know, and, and also, you know, supporting a household and a family and spending time with them as well is so important. It's such a balance in life. And, um, yeah, bear hunting took a bit of a hit this year, but, um, it's all good. I I still got quite a few days of field. I'm I must be up to like maybe 12 days field so far. Um, so you know I've got some good days out, and uh, just need to keep after it here and see if I can't arrow one um, 
get a buzzer beater here towards the end of the season. So um, fun to be out in the mountains and uh, all good, just busy here and um, living the lifestyle I want to live and definitely trying to set myself up for hunting season. But uh, great podcast with Ross. Uh, thanks to you guys and all your support. Oh, man, I haven't been great on social media here lately. I need to make some more posts on there. It's just like, it seems like when I get super busy, that's what kind of goes by the wayside. But I need to continue to get some decent posts and decent content out there. Uh, and, um, you know, definitely getting some good recordings and fitting that in. It's good that I have good friends and um, good people I can count on and hit up in the in the hunting industry and make sure that I'm getting good podcasts for you guys. So I just really want to set you guys up for success this season uh, so we can um, all just have a, a good adventurous season and um, kind of get a good reset on our lives. And um, that's what we truly love to be is be in the mountains and be bow hunting. So that's what um, the carrot at the, at, at the end of my nose is for, you know, is like just to go get that good hunting here, there, and everywhere. So I'm going to keep working hard, keep getting you guys out podcasts. Again, thanks for all the support. Uh, remember, uh, sus- subscribe and um, check out that new podcast, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal Podcast Edition, and uh, leave reviews and um, uh, shares on social media. They really help out. I really appreciate them. I try to share anybody that shares the podcast on my feed. So um, yeah, if you get a chance and you enjoyed one of the podcasts, make sure to share it. It really helps me out. And uh, with that, I'll check in with you guys next week.